take your Bibles, uh, Daniel chapter number 9. I want you to look with me. We're going to look at just a few verses. We're going to start in verse number 20, I think it is. I really can't see that anymore. I'm getting old, and I should use glasses, but pride just won't let me. <clears throat> and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do it another time. But uh, look at verse number 20, and uh, look what it says. It says, And while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, says, being caused to uh, fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision." Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah or unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks. And threescore and two weeks, the street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince, talking about different one, it's not, you see here that it's not capital P, but it's lowercase, says, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and under the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifices and the oblations to cease, for, and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even unto the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Father, as we look into these scriptures tonight, there's no way we could understand them with our minds itself, Lord. There's no way apart from the Holy Spirit of God, <clears throat> Lord, giving us the understanding. Lord, it's not even a pastor or a preacher that gives this understanding. Lord, it, I can preach and I can know it, but God, you're the one that has to translate it to the hearts and the minds of all of us here tonight. Lord, if it's not for you, then we have no understanding, we have no wisdom. But God, we thank you for the word, thank you for the scriptures that tell us that if any of us lack wisdom, that we could ask you and you would give it freely, Lord. And we ask you tonight for the wisdom through the Holy Spirit of God help us to understand these things, these very important things, in the last days. God, I pray that this church right here at North Holland, Lord, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday nights, every day during the week, I pray that they would awake. I pray that they would become so aware of the things that are around them that they would always look and know that someone is on the brink of eternity. That every time that they meet someone, every time that they talk to someone, every time that we start or close a day, that we are at the edge of eternity at any moment. Lord, not even in just the simple matter of knowing that the signs have told us that you are coming soon. And Paul saying that we're in the last days. God, help us to preach like we're in the last days. Help us to pray, Lord, and help us to sing praises under your name like we are in the last days. But God, even at that, if you choose to tarry, Lord, we're really only one heartbeat away from eternity. God, we may stop uh, breathing. We may, our hearts may stop now. And God, we would be faced with eternity. And Lord, I pray that our church would, would gather, uh, grab a hold of that, and Lord, that they would gather up all of this stuff that they're learning, and that they would, they would sense that eternity is just one moment away, and that they, they need to be ready, and they need to be sharing the word with other people. Lord, we thank you uh, for the opportunity to be here tonight. We thank you for the meal that we have shared. Now, God, we pull up our chairs to the table of the Master, asking you, Lord, to feed us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey man, if you would, I want you to look back, and I'm going to go back to some of those, Brother Britt, and uh, if I mess up, you just kind of keep going with me, but I want you to look at some things before we get started and before we actually get into the notes. I want to talk to you about Daniel and re leading up to him. Daniel was a young man of God. He was a, uh, a follower of God from his youth. He was one that was about 14 or 15 years old when Israel was taken into captivity. He was one when they were brought into captivity that he was one that wasn't going to allow uh, them to kind of influence him, but yet he also was just going to stand firm. Daniel is sometimes looked at as though uh, the world wants to use Daniel today, especially the church wants to use Daniel, and they want to try to be bold like him, but Daniel wasn't really a bold person that just came out like John the Baptist. 
Daniel was really a guy that, to me, when I look at him, he was a humble man that just was an obedient man. And when obedience is in the life of a Christian, they're not prideful and they're not bold, they're not boastful, they're not just big. But whenever humility is found in somebody that's a believer, you'll find this awesome power. You'll find this kind of awesome sense of wanting to be around this guy. This guy was one that uh, even as young age was put in, he followed, he was a slave, was took out into captivity. He was also one that understood the story of we know it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, they didn't bow down, and they said, you know, we're not going to bow, you know, if the Lord delivers us, it's fine, if not, that's fine, but we're not going to bow down, we're not going to do it, we're not going to forsake our God, and many people look at that and go, well, that's what we should do today, we should make signs, and we should be all in your face and stuff, those men weren't in people's faces, evil was in their face, and they simply said, we can't do it, they didn't go around and say, hey, everybody else, get up, they just said, we're not, we're not going to bow. And so what happens in the church today is that you get this group of people and that if one person wants to stand up and they feel that God's moving them to stand up, they're waiting on everybody else to do it when you need to do it yourself. God's called you to preach. He's calling you as an individual to preach the Word of God. And you're going to have to answer that call all on your own. I had to answer that call all on my own. If you're feeling called to go into ministry and the missions or anything like that, you've got to answer that. It's not like, hey, everybody come and join me. You've got to do it. Amen. But Daniel also, as he grew up, he grew up as uh, so respectable. He, he said, look, I can't eat of certain meats. I won't do that. I won't drink of certain things. And I would like to have a certain diet. I would like to have these things. And you would think, well, well, man, they probably wouldn't cater to him. But they saw that it actually blessed his body more than the meats and the other things that the other servants or slaves were eating. And so they ended up turning around and trying to help everybody else. But Daniel was a guy that just wanted to follow God. And he was a humble person that just said, I'm going to follow God no matter what happens to me. We know what happened to him, that he actually became second in command in all of that whole nation, second in command. He was sort of like the king or the president's right-hand man. Everything would go through Daniel and all this. Well, these other people hated him, and they thought, well, we've got to do something. And the only way we can get rid of Daniel is by using his God against him. We've got to do something. We've got to find something that's wrong with Daniel's God in order for the king to be able to see what's wrong with Daniel, you know? And so they said, well, I'll tell you what. You know, King Darius, we're going to make a, we're going to make a pact. We're going to say, hey, no one is going to pray. Uh, on one day, they're all going to pray in your name. They're not going to pray to their own gods. They're just going to honor you and wrote the decree and all that. But Daniel did just as he did every other day. Church, he didn't get mad about it. He didn't go down there and write a protest about it. He didn't get the marchers to march in the street. All that he did was he went to his home, he opened his window, he faced a certain way, and every day he prayed at morning oblation, at the noon oblation, and at the evening oblation. You say, well, what was that? It was whenever they were sacrificing the animals, Brother Craig. If they had a morning sacrifice, he was praying during that time. At the noon sacrifice, he was praying. At the evening sacrifice, he was praying. Why? Because there was no oblations, no sacrifices being made because Israel was in bondage to this nation. So Daniel just did what? He prayed during that time. I, I imagine his prayer would be, God, restore that back to us. God, please Show us what we need to do. God, show us our sins. Show us what's going on. That's where we lead up to now, understanding that Daniel said this. He said, while I was speaking and praying, look at what it says, and confessing my sin. This was while he was, we got to figure out what Daniel was doing. This was while he was doing, I, I like how it says whiles, and whiles I was speaking, amen, don't y'all? I like that. Uh, I don't know if it means like some slang down here, or, or if it just means that, there was more than one while, you know what I mean? He did this more often. But he said, while I was speaking and praying, look, he says, confessing my sin. So, brother, see, how should we pray? I can go ahead and tell you that you really, really ought to start off with, Lord, forgive me of my sins. You ought to say, Lord, Lord, see if there's sin in me. You ought to be like David and say, Lord, try me, search me, see if there's any wicked way in me. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Daniel said, I was confessing my sin. Now, think about it for one moment. This ought to show you the humility of Daniel. Daniel said, I was confessing my sin. Daniel was probably one of the rare ones that were an Israelite that was in bondage at this time that was actually one that probably was doing right. I mean, he was doing right that God even shut the mouths of lions up. Amen? He was doing right that God would take care of him even when he wouldn't eat certain things and God would take care of him. He knew that his strength come from the Lord. 
Daniel, though, because he was a man of God, and because you are a man of God or a woman of God, you'll understand this. You'll understand it. You, if you don't understand this, you really need to search hard. But when you get to the place in your walk with Christ where you go, Lord, forgive me of my sins, and then all of a sudden you begin to pray like Nehemiah, and you begin to pray like Ezra, and you begin to pray like Asa, and you say, our sins? And you include yourself in every one of them, and you say, God, forgive us of our sins. And not forgive David, and forgive Donald, and forgive Brian, and forgive Jennifer, because you know how they all act. No, it's ours. Da Daniel fessed up and said, while I was praying and confessing my sin, and look, and the sin of my people, Israel. He said, while I was doing these things, and he says, and I was presenting my supplication before the Lord. What was he saying? I was not only confessing in my prayer of my sins and the sins of Israel, but I was presenting my supplication. I was presenting my need, my desire. My, I was presenting my supplication before the Lord. Look at what he says. He says, and he says before the Lord, my God, for the holy mountain of my God. No, the holy mountain is not Mount Sinai. It was never the holy mountain. It was the mountain of Law. It was the mountain of fierce thunder and lightnings and, and, and smoke. It was the fear, uh, excuse me, it was the law, uh, mountain of fear. They, could, they would not go up on top of that. The mountain of God, the holy mountain of God, was talking about Jerusalem itself. If you don't know, Jerusalem is elevated upon at mountain, listen, Mount Zion, and it's lifted up above all of those things, church. He says that I was praying about my sins, the sins of people, Israel. And he says, and I was praying about what God was going to do with Jerusalem. And so you have to understand that before we go any further. But he says, praying for the holy mountain of God. And he says this word right here. He says, yes or yea, while I was speaking in prayer. He's like, and while I was praying this prayer, he says, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, he touched me about the time of the evening oblation. Did he come by? Amen. I want you to think about this. God, Daniel is praying and he is speaking. He's asking God for wisdom. He's asking God for understanding. He's saying, God, I want to know what's going to happen to Jerusalem. What's going to happen to your people? Because of our sins, where will our judgment be? What's going to happen? And the Bible says that the angel came by the evening oblation, at that closing of the day, and touched Daniel, and look at what it says, and he informed me. I like that. He said, he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to do what? To give thee skill and understanding. You see that? He says, I'm come now to give you skill and understanding. Now, here's what, I know this is very simple for all of us to understand, but I really want you to see this. Daniel was praying for what? Understanding about what was going to happen to Israel. The angel of the Lord come by and touched him and said, I come to inform you and to give you skill and understanding. That ought to show you that God hears your prayers and he will answer your prayers. It ought to show you that you ought to be specific with God about certain things because he's going to be specific with you. God sent an angel to speak, Gabriel to speak to Daniel and to give him information from God. That's what angels do. They are messengers. Anglios in the New Testament only is translated. It means messenger. We get so wrapped up in the wings. We get so wrapped up in all this stuff. Me and Andrew Abney talk all the time. We have a real uh, big stickler. We talk about music, and we talk about words of music. And we talk about how words in music, Christian music, ought to be biblically correct. Everybody agree with that? They should be biblically correct, and you need to have the story right because what happens is, is when you preach it, it may be one thing because they may sleep through your message, but when you sing it to them, it's like it logs into their brain, and then they build this false doctrine on it. And he said, listen to this song, Dad. It's talking about chasing angel feathers and dust and all this stuff. And it was something else that Patty was talking about, too. And I'm sitting there going, man, that's the craziest stuff I've ever heard of. You know, listen, what I told him was just honest, truthful. I said, angel and dust, that was like LSD back in the 70s is what that is. You know, and I was like, you need to get away from those songs and stuff. But Daniel said, God, give me wisdom. And understanding about what's going to happen to Israel. And the angel said, I've come to give you skill and understanding. Look what it says. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show you, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Look at what he said. 
He said, I heard you at the beginning. Another part in Daniel, he said, I heard you at the beginning, but I was hindered. But in this one, it says, I heard you at the beginning, and then, but what did he have to do? Church, look at this scripture. He says, at the beginning of thy supplication, the commandment came forth. He said, when you begin to pray, God immediately summoned and said, go and give this to him. Go and speak this to Daniel. And he said, and I'm coming. He said, Daniel, I just want you to know that you're greatly loved by God. You're greatly loved. Look, church, let me tell you something. You're no different than Daniel. If you're a child of God, you're no different than Daniel, and you're greatly loved by him. I mean, he loved you so much that he gave his son to die for your sins. So you are greatly loved or greatly beloved, if you, whatever way you want to say it. But listen, God wants to give us understanding, and he wants us to consider the vision and consider the matter. He wants us to hold these things in, God, uh, uh, to understand them, to grab them, to bring these things in. You know, there's a lot of people that don't like to preach out of Daniel. They don't like to preach out of Revelation. They don't like to talk about Ezekiel. They don't like to get into Isaiah and other things. And these prophets were great. These prophets were wonderful, church. Understand, if you read about from the prophet Isaiah, you're going to read about the birth of Jesus Christ and the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. All the wonderful prophecy concerning how they were going to lead him as a lamb to the slaughter. When you read the book of Jeremiah, you're going to read exactly what's happening in the world today. The Bible says, Jeremiah chapter 6, what was going on with Israel is happening with the United States today. In Jeremiah chapter 6, he says, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? He said, nay, and neither did they blush. And he said, oh, woe unto you pastors that lead your flocks astray and you're leading them through all of this and you're greedy of filthy lucre and money and all this stuff. And they're teaching and preaching and all that stuff happened way back then. And as one person said, if we don't learn from history, we're going to be doomed to repeat it. And so these prophets are very good. And whether you want to call them a major prophet like, you know, Isaiah and Jeremiah or a minor prophet like Hosea or Habakkuk, it doesn't matter. They're all big prophets in the Bible. And they were carrying the word of God and what God wants us to have. God does not want you to be out of the loop concerning these things. This past Sunday, I talked about uh, fearing the Lord. And that how in the house of God, in, in the church, and in the world, that there is no fear of God anymore. And that is what's wrong. Everybody says, oh, we shouldn't fear him, we shouldn't fear him. If you're an unbeliever, you should fear the Lord. The Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. The Bible says to the believer, though, what? That he has not given you the spirit of fear because you got the spirit of God now. You don't have the spirit of fear, but you have what? Love, power, sound mind. What is that, church? Love is grace. The reason that you have love is because of God's grace. Listen, power is what? It's the gospel, dunamis, the dynamite power of the gospel that changed you. What is sound mind? Peace, having peace in our mind. What is having that peace? He said, my peace Give I unto you, and my peace I leave with you. Church, we got to understand that even as a Christian, we can't expect people to come into the house of God and feel comfortable about sin, even if they're a Christian. And that's what's wrong. That's what's happening today. We don't have an understanding, a clear understanding of the Word of God. We look at how it says, don't have fear in the Bible 365 times, but we got to understand that that's speaking to the Christian people, to the believers of God. The Bible says that the demons in hell believe, Heath, but it says they tremble at the fact of what they believe. Listen, there are people that are going to die and go to hell because they don't fear God. And listen, it's going to be too late for them. We need preachers today to preach about how eternity will be forever in hell. We need preachers to preach. Listen, Adrian Rogers said it like this. If you meet a preacher that only stands over here on the grace of God and never preaches the wrath, he's an heretic. If you ever meet a preacher that stands over here only on the wrath of God and never the grace of God, he's a heretic. You've got to have both. And people are not afraid today. Listen, you know what's going on with church today? People are coming into the house of God and they're looking at the Christians that are still roaming around in their sin. They're lurking around in their sin. They're doing what they want to do. They see you on Sunday, but they see you on Friday. They see you on Sunday night, but yet they see you on Saturday night. They see you here on Sunday morning, and they see you at TP's on Sunday night or on Friday night, and you're drunk and you're slobbering all over the bar, and then you go, hey, come to church with me and be a Christian. And they go, okay, well, that's fine. I mean, because I can do what you do, and it's no different, and there is no change in their lives. And those people, if you're truly saved, Sister Julie, those people that you're doing that to are going to go to hell, and the blood is going to be on your hands. It will be. And we've got to look and say, God, give us true understanding today. 
People look at Revelation and go, oh, that's terrible, that's fearful. Don't talk to me about fear. We need to sound the trumpet. Ezekiel 33 says that you are the watchman of the house. And if you see the enemy coming and you blow not the trumpet, it says, then the blood shall I require of that person on your hands. He says, but if you blow the trumpet and you warn them of the judgment that is coming and the enemy that is coming, he said, then their blood will I require at their own hands. In other words, we've got to sound the alarm. If a tornado is coming, we've got to tell them a tornado is coming and not just some small whirly-whirly wind. You know what I'm saying? If we're going to tell them that the judgment of God is coming, they need to know that he's not riding in on marshmallows. He's not riding in on some kind of Cadillac and going to be easy with people. Church, this is serious. When he comes at this time, and Daniel's praying about, when he comes, this world is going to be devastated. Devastated. I don't know if you've ever seen the old films of the atom bombs that we split apart split apart the atom, made the you know, hydrogen bombs and atom bombs and see what they do. And that's, that's fearful to know that they would blow up and hit 10 miles in the radius and destroy everything right there in 10 miles. And then that radiation would spread even further than that. And people would not only just disintegrate at the point of the 10-mile mark, but yet even on the outskirts of that, that they would have radiation sickness, that all things would happen to them. Plant life would be destroyed. Let me tell you something. That is a drop in the bucket compared to the Bible telling us that this earth will melt with fervent heat. Listen, we need preachers like Vance Havner, D.L. Moody's, Charles Spurgeon's. We need preachers like Billy Graham that would share about the hope, but he was not scared or terrified to tell people about the judgment of God. He wrote a book called The Approaching Hoof Prints that I've been reading about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and I'm telling you something, it's terrifying. If you are an unbeliever, it would scare you to death, and it should. That's what we need today. Did you know that the Bible teaches us twice in the Scriptures that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? Did you know that whenever I was sitting there as a lost person in the pew that night, that actually fear gripped my heart, that I would die without him, that fear grabbed a hold of me, that it actually shook me to the core, and I realized right then and there that I would die lost and all of this stuff would be gone? Did you know that even God spoke to me even while I was in my lost sinful, inebriated condition that God actually did something just for me that I've never shared with many people, just a handful of people. You know why? Because God was showing me, saying, if you continue down this path, this is going to be what happens to you. You're going to be gone. You're going to be forever cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth means this, that they're not repenting in hell. doesn't mean that they're repenting. Where they're gnashing their teeth, they're drawing their teeth because they're in that horrible place. And I don't mean to be someone that makes you upset, but let me tell you something. If fear strikes you, we ought to thank God that we know that, hey, that fear hit us and we got saved. Let me tell you something. If you're a believer now, you've got to hold on to what I closed with Sunday morning, 1 Thessalonians 5. You're not children of the dark, but you're children of the day. You're not children of the light. You're not children of the night, but you are children of the day. You're not children of the darkness, but rather we walk in light, amen, the light of Jesus Christ. We don't fear anyone. More, because why? Because we have salvation. Daniel said, God, what is going to happen with Jerusalem? There was a fear that was going on. There was a great concern that was going on. And he said, God has come to give you understanding. And he wants you to consider the matter and to consider the vision. Grab it all in. And here's where we'll start tonight. Look, look at this scripture right here. The Bible says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and thy holy city. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to rec- uh, make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and anoint the most holy. I don't know if that thing will do it or not, but it's supposed to go to something next, Brother Britt. There it went. Boom. We're good. We're cooking now with gas. The first thing I want you to write down is the period. The time period that's going on. The period. The Bible says 70 weeks are determined. It's 70 weeks, and you look at that, and you go, all right, brother, see, well, what does all that mean? And we're going to try to put all of these things in there tonight. We're going to try to, I don't know if I'm doing this right. We're going to try to swap over and swap over. Let me give you this. I think you've already got it there in your notes. But the Bible, Bible's real awesome about numbers, real great, seven being the number of perfection. And I don't really want to get into, like, this math stuff to where it maybe go over your head, 
But I really want to try to break this down real slow and real simple. But I want you to look at it. 70 weeks is actually, this is translated, a 70 of sevens. If you were to write this down, 70 weeks is actually equal to 70 sevens. So if there's 70 of these sevens. Look, the Bible loves to talk about it. In Exodus 23 and verse 12, it talks about a Sabbath day. And what that was is that you'd work six days and you would rest on the seventh day, the Sabbath day. Then the Bible talks about in Leviticus 25, verses 1 through 70, that there was this thing called a Sabbath year, which was that every seventh year you would labor on that field and you would let that, you would till it and you would garden it and you would do those things. But on that seventh year, you would let that plot of land rest and it was called a Sabbath year. But then the Bible had a thing called a Sabbath of Sabbaths, which was put all together and it was actually called the year of Jubilee, which would be the 50th year. And the Sabbath of Sabbaths, was that you would work this thing, you have it 49 years, and if Ricky gave me all of his land today, and Ricky would have to be 20 in order to do this, so maybe we'll just change it over here to Charlie. If Charlie was going to give me all of his land today, after 50 years, that land could be able to go back to Charlie because it was the year of Jubilee where things would be returned to those people. If he owed me a debt and he couldn't pay it, and he said, here, Brother Steve, here's a parcel of my land, and I took it, I could work that thing for 50 years, you'd probably get it back a little bit earlier than 50 years, because I ain't got 50 years left in me, uh, but if I did last for 50 years, then at that 50th year, it would go back. It was always, always, church, listen, seven was always a way of giving back, and God intended that to be for us, too, that it was to give back. Uh, six weeks we would labor, give back to the Lord. Seven years, uh, six years that land would be uh, uh, toiled, give it back to the Lord, the seventh year. Fifth, you know, 49 years, 50th year, give it back. It was always about returning back things to the Lord. And in this scripture right here, the 70 weeks, it's actually translated this word, and I'm going to try my best to get this word right because I don't want to mispronounce it, but it's called Shavuah. <laughs> I got it. You think, no, you mispronounce it you say it's shabua it ain't a b it's actually in the hebrew it's v and you probably actually have to do a little in order to pronounce it the right way all right but it's shavua and that word is translated into our english word today as a heptad a heptad and people go well what in the world is a heptad it's actually a period of seven you know a period or a time of seven years seven weeks seven months it's a heptad. And you say, well, Brother Steve, that, that sounds kind of crazy. Well, that's the Hebrew way that they did things. If they had a seven-year period that they would kind of mark out, it was seven years would be a heptad. And you say, well, I just don't understand that. That seems very silly, silly to me. Well, it really doesn't because what's a decade? A decade is the Roman word. It's the Greek word that they Romanize, and it's decus. And what does it mean? It's a series of ten years. And we know that we would say three decades ago would be what? 30 years ago, right? And we put it together as a decade. Well, the Hebrew people, we've got to go by their calendar. We've got to go by their things and their word of God. So they had a heptad, which was actually a series of seven years. Now, maybe when the Romans got a hold of this and thought, we can't do seven, you know, that just messes all of our numbers up. We, it's just too hard to remember seven sevens and all that. Let, let's just round this thing up to ten. That's the way American people do, Right. You know, we'll just put a zero on it, and that way all we got to do is we can just add zeros to all of the end of it. But it's not hard, but we have to go into the Jewish mindset and understand how that they receive these things. So now we have it. It's a 70 of sevens. And so if you take that, it's a 77-year period, which would equal 490 years. 490 years that would be determined upon Israel. And I want you to write this down, probably more than anything, I want you to look at the bottom, it says that Bible prophecy is calculated by 360 days a year and not 365 days a year. And you say, well, why would that be? They don't go by our Gregorian calendar, they go by a Hebrew calendar, and they actually will add a month in there if they need to, and I think it's Adar 1 or Adar 2. And they would add that in. The way that they judge the new month in its beginning would be by the moon. They go by a lunar calendar and when these things begin. And we don't. We go by a solar calendar. So if you sit around and you try to figure out Bible prophecy in dates and times and all that, and you're using 365, it's always going to come out wrong. 
because you're using what you've grown up to understand that happened thousands of years later. You've got to use their Hebrew calendar, BCE. You've got to use all of that before Common Era, all of those things. But anyway, I'm going to go on to this next thing right here, and uh, we're going we're gonna to bring that stuff in later on. It's not, it's not going to be this night. We're going to bring it in a couple more nights from now because I told Patty that I wouldn't want her head to explode. But look at it. It says 70 weeks are determined. Look at this right here. Upon thy people. The period is, is how long was this supposed to last? 490 years. Remember that. 77-year period. 70 heptads. 77-year periods is what? 490 years total. So we know the period. God's determined it. And he used that word, are determined. Okay? They're set in stone. You cannot change this at all. You will not change this. And he says that they're determined upon thy people. God says in this scripture that they're determined upon the Israelites, upon the Jewish people. It's not upon the Gentile. It's not upon America. Please do not try to insert America in this prophecy that's concerning Israel. You can't do that. And I want to show you some things. Listen, he says the determined is upon the children of Israel. And here's a question. Is there a difference between the New Testament church and Israel? If you were to ask a lot of people, they would go, well, not really, because we're all going to be the people of God. And you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But there is a difference in the Old Testament and the New Testament people. And in order to understand the Word of God all the way through and through, we've got to know that there is a wonderful scarlet thread that's sewn all the way through. Let me tell you something. If you get that thing knotted up and you're trying to figure out a different way and you put this group together, you're going to find that all of your prophecies are going to have some kind of mess up or hiccup or something wrong. You've got to know that the Bible teaches us that we, we receive the spiritual blessings as Israel. We receive the spiritual blessings just as they did. That's what Paul was talking about. But the church never becomes Israel, and Israel never becomes a New Testament church. You say, all right, Brother Steve, well, help me out. The best way that I can understand to tell you more than anything is this right here. The Old Testament Hebrew people were a nation chosen by God. They were picked out. Abraham was chosen by God to lead. He said, look, what did he tell Abraham? He said, Abraham, I want you to get up and go to a country that I'll show you. You know, the scripture probably would have read like this if it would have been Heath, and Heath answered unto the Lord and said, where are we going? But Abraham didn't say that. Abraham got everything and left. Abraham did. He got everything left. He didn't ask God where we're going. He said, go into a place that I will show you. And he went out of Ur, right? And he came up to the land of the Chaldeans. He went over, and he came uh, by the river Euphrates, and he came down into Israel. All these great things that happened, we know that. But God chose Abraham and told him, because he believed, he's going to be a father of many nations. He, he, all this stuff happened. And it says, and Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Church, and what that means is, is the exact same way that you and I are saved is the same way that Abraham was saved. He believed by faith. Amen. He wasn't saved because he circumcised himself. He actually circumcised himself because he did believe already. Amen. Same way that somebody's going to be about three or four people going to be baptized Sunday because they already believe. Amen. And they're going to be baptized to do what? To be a profession of their faith. Right? Not to be a possession of their faith. They're going to profess it. Amen. They already got saved. And if they die tonight, they're going to heaven just as much as you are, and you may have been baptized twice, you know? But look at it. Hey, Israel was chosen by God the Father, and he was going to do what? He was going to make of Abraham a father of many nations. And you think about it for a moment. We've got people, we got people in church that talk about why should we be supporters of Israel? Why should we do that? I want to tell you one reason, because Scripture says so. The Bible says that he would bless those that bless them, and he would curse those that curse them. Listen, the Bible tells us that, listen, we ought to be a friend to the children of Israel. We ought to be a friend of them. I spent, I spent hours trying to convince a Jewish tour guide to come to Jesus Christ. I pray. I was like, surely every message that I preached, I was like, Lord, she's got to hear this. Nicholas got to be saved. She's got to hear this. They all went into the diamond store. If you go to Israel, it's not much different than Six Flags. You got to go through the gift shop or out of the gift shop. Everywhere you go. And we sat out there. She said, you don't want to go in the diamond store? And I said, look, do I look like I got money for diamonds? You know what I mean? And I said, I, I just sitting out here. And so I was talking to her about Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. Trying to convince her of the gospel. She would not hear it. 
She would not hear it at all. And I'm sitting there going, Lord, what is wrong? And the Bible teaches about blindness in Israel and all that. And I was like, Lord, please just break the blindness off of her. She needs to know she needs to be saved now. Right now, amen. God chose Abraham to bless the world with his son. That's, that's the Old Testament church. The Old Testament people of God. And what I mean by church, I'm talking about assembly of people. The Old Testament, God chose them to bring forth his son. He did. He chose them as a royal bloodline to bring forth his son. Amen? Right? That's the reason. But what's different? The New Testament church, listen, the Old Testament people were the what? Bride of the father. They were the wife of Jehovah. He said in Hosea that they had committed adultery against him. Remember? He said it was the wife of Jehovah. But the Bible says in the New Testament, we're not the wife of Jehovah, but we are the bride of Christ. Amen? We have been brought into the family now, not just through the Father, but we've been brought in through the Son. Amen? We are the bride of Christ. That's what separates us. That's why the prophecy has to be understood differently. Because why? This next thing right here, I'm glad you asked. Because are their promises the same? Listen, heaven, yes, is the same. But many of the promises that were given to Israel in the book of Daniel, in the book of Isaiah, in the book of Ezekiel, all dealt with earthly things that are going to happen. Let me say something to you. You could put me in a grave and stick me in a casket and put me in there six foot. You could put it eight foot if you want to. And when he calls me, I'm going out. I'm coming up out of the grave. No matter what, you, you can't stop that. You, you can't stop it, Right? Makes you want to sing that song. You can't stop me. You, there's no way you can't, you, you, you can't do it, right? Listen, there's no way that we could ever stop Israel from being blessed. They're going to be brought back one day. Brother Josh, they're going to be brought back. And you know what is so amazing about Israel? Of all the nations that have banished, been conquered, and overcome, that they're the only ones that just keep coming back. Just keep coming back up. They're like a root that you can't get round up on, and it just keeps coming back, and it just keeps coming back. But you don't understand, it has to happen that way. They tried to stamp it out. Listen, Hitler killed over 6 million of them. Church, instead of getting rings off their fingers, he cut hands off and piled them up. Instead of taking their shoes off, they cut the feet off and piled up those, not ever needing them. 11th grade, I did a book report on the Holocaust. Listen, we went to Israel, we went through this Holocaust museum and seeing these people that were just skin and bones and bloated little bellies and stuff, all of these little Jewish people, listen, they went through one of the most horrific things they could go through, over six million of them, and you still can't get rid of them. You can't, you can't get rid of them. You know, Ephesus, the church, it's gone. Thyatira, it's gone. Listen, the church of Colossae, they're gone, Right? You can't get rid of these people. They're here. And their nation just keeps coming. Bloop. Bloop. 1948, boom, what happened? Israel became a state again. Listen, church, God's going to do something with them. And when we see those things happening, when we see the branch of the fig tree getting tender, in other words, when we see the nation of Israel growing up, and if you want to know about prophecy, you better start in Israel and look over there. Because when God does something, when he throws a rock in the pond, it hits Israel and then it ripples out everywhere else. We need to be a friend of Israel. Listen, are their promises the same? Most of theirs are earthly promises. And listen, ours being going away with him. Listen, are there prophecies in the New Testament about, uh, excuse me, of the New Testament church in the Old Testament? No. There's no prophecy about the New Testament church in the Old Testament. You say, well, what do you mean? There's not. The Bible talks about that it was a mystery. The Bible tells us that very word. Paul uses that word very clearly. It was a mystery. And listen, it wasn't for them to know. Listen, they were looking to the kingdom, looking to the kingdom, and because they rejected it, Brother Craig, the church, who we are. We're in the age of the church. Revelation chapters what? Two and three. Well, let me do it like that. Two and three, right? What was those two chapters? All about the church. What was that all about? First chapter of Revelation was about what was. Second and third chapter of Revelation was about what is. Chapter 6 all the way through chapter 22 is about what will be and what is to come, amen? Listen, we're going to go quickly. Y'all know that gravy and biscuit setting in on you. Listen, he said, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. And look at this, he said, upon thy holy city. He said the period, he told them the people, and then he says right here, he gives them the place. 
the place. It's called a time. You know, this tribulation is called the time of Jacob's trouble. And it's going to happen. What was Jacob's name changed to? We know that. Israel. It's going to be the time of Israel's trouble. It says it's upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Listen, the judgment is determined upon Israel because of their unbelief in God at that time. Let me ask you this question right here. Why, if the time is determined upon them, why not, why, why Jerusalem? Why not Iraq and Iran or even America? Look at Iraq. It's a mess. Look at Iraq. It's ruled and has been ruled by dictators that were evil. Do you remember Sodom Hussein or Saddam Hussein? Do you remember um, how that they were going to, when they were going to execute him and were going to hang him, that he actually had two people that actually Brother Adam got to come in and speak with him. And the two were was the next leader, the next dictator that would take his place. And he went in and he spoke with Saddam Hussein and he began to ask him about why he would do these evil things. And, why, and he said he came out and the only thing that he said is that he is unrepentant. That's all he said. Unrepentant. The other person that went in to speak to him was a man who was a leader, a minister, a leader over the area where, remember, Saddam Hussein gassed his own people. Thousands of his own people died because he did that, testing it out on them. He went in and his whole family died in that little incident. He went in and he asked him, he said, what will you say when you stand before God? You know, I'm sure and convinced that they were thinking, Allah, what would you say when he judges you for all of these things? And he said he never answered a word, never spoke anything at all to that guy. And they went out and they placed the noose around his neck. And do you know what Saddam Hussein's last words were? Iraq can go to hell. That's what he said. An unrepentant heart. Look, wouldn't you think that that area would deserve justice? Israel, God's people. Israel is called the heart of God, the apple of his eye, the heart of God's eye. You know, they're called the, the beloved. They're called the wife of Jehovah. Why would God judge Israel? Why wouldn't he just go ahead and wipe off Iraq? That, listen, I know you're looking at me funny, but that's the conversation you have at your house at your dinner table. People, I hear it all the time. They walk in church, just kill them all, just kill them all. Listen, God's not killing them all because thank God he's not like you. He's withholding judgment right now because of grace, because some of them are being saved. Amen? And they need to be saved. They need to be born again just as much as your children need to be born again. Well, why not Iran, where they march through the streets? And why not America? Look at America. You know, in 1995, 96, it had to be 96. In 1996, this movement, which was called the Gay Activist Movement, came out and they had a video that they sent all of the Southern Baptist pastors called the Gay Agenda and was showing how that they were going to get in businesses and they were going to get into big companies and stuff and put all of their monies in there in order to sway people in order to believe their way. And it's in your face every day. They're telling you over and over, we're this way, get used to it. We're this way, get used to it. The same way that they try to tell us about get used to hearing guns and get used to hearing shots and get used to murders and get used to rape. We shouldn't get used to that stuff. We shouldn't get used to sin. We shouldn't get used to looking at somebody and going, oh, they're just a drunk. No, they need to be saved. Oh, well, she's just a drug addict. No, she needs to be saved. We need to help those people out, amen? We shouldn't be used to it. But back then, in 1996, they sent this video out. And I'm going to tell you something. On that video was some of the most ungodly stuff I'd ever seen in my life. Parades and things that were going on. They had one parade in New Orleans as they were going down the streets, and they had a crucifix that was up there, and Jesus Christ was there on the cross, and Mary was bowed at his feet, and he was urinating on top of Mary and all this stuff, and they were dancing around. And I was like, man, that's horrible. I'm going to tell you something. The same things in Sodom and Gomorrah, the same things in Capernaum that happened that way. And listen, it's the same exact, same, exact same things that are happening here in the United States and even in Sweet Home, Alabama. If anyone deserves judgment, it would be us. Of our blatant sins. People walk through Walmart, a public place, to get groceries and some games and stuff like that <clears throat> with a black shirt with white letters that say, F off. Man, just bold people in sin. People walk into supermarkets with AKs and, and guns and blast people down right there in front of their whole families. They go to football games and shoot guns. 
They go and kill people. Their police officers killed all the time. If God was going to judge anybody, don't you want to look up and go, God, why don't you judge us? But he's going to judge Israel. Many people want to put all of the others in that, and they will be in that judgment. Every unbeliever, Brother Adam, will be in that judgment, in the tribulation. God's doing it because of Israel. He's going to chastise them. He's going to whip them, and he's got a purpose for it. Listen, church, we're going to go. Remember what Daniel was praying about? Daniel was praying and saying, God, what's going to happen to Israel? What's going to happen to the holy mount of God? going to happen, Lord, and forgive us of our sins, my sins and our sins. What was God doing? Why was God doing this? Church, the scripture comes to my mind that he chastens those whom he loves. God's not finished with Israel. He's going to chastise them. It comes to my mind that the Lord loves Israel so much that he's willing to do what? Like we talked about Sunday or last Wednesday. He's willing to break them in order to do what? To heal them. God said 490 years are going to be determined upon your people, your holy city. It's going to be the Israelites and the Jewish city. And it's going to ripple, church, all through this world. All through it all, God's going to do this. Say, Brother Steve, why are you so, just so sure of this? Why are you so dogmatic about it? Why are you so adamant about it? Because, church, the same way. Aren't you sure of your salvation? Are you sure of your salvation? Everybody here, are you sure of your salvation? Are you sure that Jesus came as a uh, born of a virgin? That he was crucified and buried and three days later he rose from the grave? Everybody here believe that? You know, that's, that's the stuff that I'm preaching is in the same book. And all of the goody-goody gumdrops and the love and grace and all of the fluff that we always preach and the good stuff all the time, we got to understand, if we reject this, sir, ma'am, we're going to face the wrath of God. And I don't say that at all with any kind of joy. I don't find joy in that at all. And I want to tell you something, neither does, neither does God. He is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. He is not willing that any evildoer would get what's coming to them. He has given time and time and time again. And listen, we need to make sure that our children that come to this church, our teenagers that come to this church, understand true salvation and not this, you know, marshmallow stuff that we're talking about nowadays of you just do this and do that and everything's good and you ain't got to do anything anymore. No, we need to tell people about what repentance is. We need to tell them that's forsaking sin, turning unto God. That means you devote your whole life to him and he's got to be your Lord and Savior. Here's the last thing. Since I know that you're so excited. <laughs> Listen, there's a purpose. <clears throat> God has a purpose. Look at what the purpose is. He says, 70 weeks, that's the period, are determined upon thy people, that's the people, and thy holy city, that's the place. But here's the purpose, to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Some people think that that's already happened. It hasn't. I believe, looking at this, three of these have happened but we are still waiting for three to be fulfilled. And you say, well, Brother Steve, that wouldn't really wouldn't make sense. It, it makes perfect sense. Because you remember, we talked about prophecy as a telescope, that it actually has some fulfillment in some ways, but then it telescopes out to show you. Many times the Lord, give, Jesus gave parables in order to help, help us understand a heavenly story. Well, a lot of people think that all this happened and Antiochus Epiphanes was the one that came in and he was the so-called Antichrist and he was the desolation of abomination and all this stuff. We'll talk about that later. I don't want to get you messed up before you go to bed. All right? You're going, who in the world is Antiochus Epiphanes? Who is he talking? But it was, it was during the Maccabees and the revolt, and it was, they think it was him that did all that stuff. But that was just a shadow of actually what was actually going to be coming in the Antichrist himself. But I want you to look. The Bible says here's the purpose. God's plan is, number one, to finish the transgression. Let me tell you something. That's done. When Jesus died on the cross, when the Messiah was cut off, the transgressions to finish it all, it was done. You say, how do you know that? Because Jesus said, it is finished. The transgression, there, there doesn't need to be any more offerings for your transgressions of sin. You don't have to go get a lamb, a bullock, a turtle doves, or anything. That part, finished. All right, in Christ. 
But it wasn't finished in Daniel's time. It was finished in our time. Number two, to make an end of sin. Absolutely. What does that mean? It's that there is enough forgiveness in the blood of Jesus that you don't have to come annually and annually and annually and annually. You've got enough in the blood of Jesus to cleanse you, Brother Tommy, from all sins, from yesterday's sins, from today's sins, all the way into tomorrow's sins. Amen. That will make somebody a little bit happy. Amen. Listen, the third thing is this, to make reconciliation for iniquity. That was all done when Messiah was cut off, when Christ was crucified. But look at this, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Church, everlasting righteousness as we may have. We have the righteousness of Jesus Christ with us. But listen, there's going to be an eternal eternal robes of white righteousness that we will receive one day. He said to seal up the vision and the prophecy. In other words, that everything would be finished. At the end of the book of Daniel, God told him, Brother Craig said, seal the book and you can't add any more to there. But when we get to the book of Revelation, he said, let's take the seals off of that scroll and we're going to show all of these things. And we're going to see at the end of Revelation that God's going to seal up everything and all the prophecy will all be fulfilled someday. Listen, church, you know what we're waiting on? We're waiting on Jesus to come back. That's the prophecy that we're waiting on. That's what we're looking for, amen? We're not looking for roots to grow out. We're looking for a red heifer over here in Israel. When we see those things coming, we know that the time is near, but we are to be looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, amen? Listen, and to anoint the most holy someday. That's going to be, hey, I don't know about y'all, but what it says in that song, what a day that'll be. When my Jesus I shall see, and he takes me by the hand, leads me through the promised land. When they anoint the most holy, when he is actually crowned before all of the earth, before every unbeliever and believer, and he is crowned as king of kings and lord of lords, and every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. What will they confess? Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. That's good. It's a good book. Listen, the tribulation is not going to be for you. But if you are an unbeliever of Jesus Christ, Listen to me. You will go through the tribulation. And if you know the truth now, and you think you're going to believe it then, what I was trying to tell you Sunday, you're not. You're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. You're going to be deceived because you're going to be thinking that you know all this stuff in your mind, and you're going to think that person right off the bat that comes on that white horse says, oh, that must be Jesus, and it ain't going to be him. The devil himself. Amen. It's a good book. I hope it didn't give you too much tonight, but I hope it gave you enough to chew on. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much <clears throat> for the word.